Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Lane this week. Chris is the Chief Executive Officer for the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies, which is an, an amazing nonprofit out in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. Before that, he was Vice President for Sustainability at Zantera. We'll talk about that. He was the first Director of Environmental Affairs for the Aspen Skiing Company. So he's got quite a, quite a background in outdoors and sustainability, and he's one of the brightest people uh, in my life. So we look forward to talking to him today. Hey, Chris, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Really good to see you. Really good to see you. Let's let's go all the way back. We have a few minutes together, but born and raised Florida. Well, if you want to go all the way back, I'm a recovering redneck from Tennessee is like is how I have to characterize myself because I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed of some of my uh, early childhood uh, occurrences, I guess I'll call it the environmental ethic I grew up with was not an environmental ethic. Uh huh. So then Tennessee, did you, I know you went to University of Florida. I, I thought your family lived down there. No, you know, I, they do. I've got family in Florida. I went to the University of Florida, uh, but my childhood was in Tennessee where, you know, the, the sort of more the hunting ethic kind of, and my love of birds is my first memory of really appreciating the environment and, and, and figuring out this is what I want to do with my life is I want to find something to do with the protecting the world, making it a better place instead of destroying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I, you, I read that you were a, a avid birder still to this, to this day. And I guess when Audubon used to go out known for his love of birds that he would point up to his, to his, to his marksman or whatever, and they would shoot the bird so that he could, uh, examine it and I guess classify it and all that kind of stuff but I'm ashamed to say I did the exact same thing as a kid I would shoot birds and examine them as crazy as it sounds I fell in love with birds which I think pointed me in the direction of environmental engineering eventually at Florida yeah so what what was the drive to go to University of Florida well we just moved we moved to Florida my family moved and it was the best closest most affordable university. And then of course I find out when I decide I wanna be an environmental engineer, it happenstance has one of the top five environmental engineering schools in the country. So I was extremely proud and happy to be doing that. And it was a hard degree that I killed myself in, uh, but was proud to get that degree. Yeah, and uh, I, I read also, Chris, that you were boxing there? At no, I, I've had enough traumatic brain injuries. I try not to bring it up, but I did. I was a four-year collegiate boxer. I was undefeated and um, was quite a boxer. I was a, I won a championship and <laughs> in the amateur level, college level. But um, I'm, I'm I don't think I have any brain damage, <laughs> from what I can tell. Thank goodness, thank goodness. I always think of you as a, you know, bicycle rider, racer, you know, mountain mountain biking, um, running, swimming, all the triathlete sort of stuff. But the well, boxing, watch well, out for Chris Lane. Boxing's interesting because it, everyone thinks of it as this tough guy, mean guy thing. When in reality, in college, it's the fittest guy wins. If you are fit, you got to fight three three-minute rounds. And by the third, by the second round, you can't lift your hands up. You're so tired because you're just brawling. And if you can do that in the third round, which is I was good at because I was fit, yeah. um, you can knock a lot of people out because they're just too tired. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. I didn't think we'd be talking about that too much, but that's, that's, that's a good one. What brought you to Colorado? 
Well, I knew uh, after being raised in Tennessee, my people were west of the Mississippi. So in, in that case, it was an environmental ethic. You know, there was, it was back to culture of environmental protection that brought me west. So how did you make that move? I, I, I worked at an engineering firm out of college. And after not enjoying that in Florida, I just got in my car and drove west and just uh, plopped myself down the Roaring Fork Valley and said, I'm going to make my life here one way or another. And what was the, what were the first, what were the, you're scrapping, what were the first things you did? Well, I had no money. I, I got a job and a waiting tables and I had $200. I put that down in a room in a house and lived that way for a, almost like a ski bum life for about a year. So enjoyed, it was probably the best year of my life. And then eventually got uh, hooked up with the Sierra Club, got hooked up with some government projects, and then eventually got hooked up with someone you might know quite well, IRT Environment, uh, as you know, I'm being facetious, of course. But yeah, yeah. You, you and I worked together and had a, you know, really another step into my career, which is a great stepping stone and really enjoyed working with you back then. Yeah, it was great. We had a great, a great time. Uh, the results center, all those case studies of exemplary efficiency programs. I like to look back on that to be able to just interview, go out and interview all the most successful people around the country. And then I did case studies in Europe and also in, in Asia. You, you then shifted to the Aspen Skiing Company. You became the first director of environmental affairs, a position I actually wanted it. At. I don't know if you remember that, but I was jealous you got it. But uh, you were absolutely ideally suited for that. And um, what would what was your what would you say were your accomplishments or the things you're most proud of at, during that at that tenure? That was about that was about four years, right? Yeah, about four years, ninety six to two thousand. Yeah, and you know that was if you remember was when it, you know we had the, there's that book Powder Burn and there was the Vale restaurant got Eco Terrace burned it down to the ground. So this was a, the ski industry was under attack, and I was just ahead of that. Pat O'Donnell, the CEO, hired me. We were ahead of that curve. I was the first really dedicated um, environmental affairs director and then vice president um, in the ski industry. So that was kind of new. And we did things like we did the first one of the top 10 first lead certified buildings in the country. And we did it on top of Aspen Mountain at the Sun Deck. Uh, we deconstructed buildings that, you know, so on the green, we focused on green building design energy, water, waste management, greening up the supply chain, and then a lot of operational stuff. So it wasn't, you know, we were trying to get beyond recycling, but it's funny, I look back at those times and I think, okay, that's pretty perfunctory. What we did then is perfunctory now. You know, who's not doing sustainable design if you're claiming to be green? Who's not managing their carbon? Who's not doing energy, water, waste management? Um, pretty, one thing we did that I think I'm proud of is we started an environment foundation, which was an employee-run, employee-funded foundation to give to environmental causes. That's still pretty cutting edge in the industry, certainly the ski industry or the tourism industry. Um, so that was interesting. I think the greening up the supply chain, there was all kinds of room for improvement there, endless amounts of things that a large company like that buys that you can then influence and say, oh, we're not buying that, you know, whether it's, you know, Kleenex and they're cutting down rainforest and you boycott Kleenex or, you know, greening just everything from lubricants to vehicle maintenance stuff to the things that customers interact with. Yeah, yeah, well put. And like you said, a lot of those things are seem perfunctory now, but they were, they were, they were cutting edge. I guess the, the nice way of putting it is we've just come a long way. Right. And uh, you know, a lot of the, the early projects that we were all involved with 
just are seem remarkably small scale compared to what's going on. But without them, we wouldn't be where we are today. So that's that's yeah. really that's really cool. And then you you shifted to Zantera, which is I don't really know that company, but it's a much bigger resort management company, I gather. Yeah, Zantera is interesting because they're kind of the behind the scenes guys at all the national parks. So if you've been to Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, you Zantera, you stayed in their lodge, you ate their food, you may have traveled on their mule ride, their snowmobile ride, whatever it may be. They provide all the services in national and state parks. They then grew and expanded to do train sets and cruise ships. So when I got the job at Zantera, it was a chance to take what I was doing in Aspen and expand it times 10 on a scale with just big budget numbers. And what I'm most proud about there is we did kind of the same things, energy, water, waste management, managing our carbon, lead buildings. We took that to another level. But we were, and I'm thinking of you, Ted, as I say this, we did lots of in-house renewable energy. So you won't think this is anything because you've done so much renewable energy. But at the time, again, 20, well, I guess it was 20 years ago, we did what was the largest PV system in the tourism industry, a two megawatt system in Death Valley, um, a PV system with the on tracking system, you know, a pretty slick system subsidized by Southern California Edison. And um, I was really proud of that because that was a ton of work and it convinced the money guys to put millions of dollars into PV um, was a new thing to them at the time. Yeah. Now, I was, I, that was on my list to talk about the Death Valley project because I know you're very proud of it and it's, it's a fantastic accomplishment. It's when we got together, I don't know, three or four months ago, we got together out in Colorado and we were talking about your life. And it sounded like after a while of with Zantera, you were doing so much traveling uh, that you were burnt out on that and you really wanted to be with the family and be closer to home. That's exactly the case. I I love Zantera. I loved the job. I had a, a nice, a large staff and we were spread out across the country, but I was gone all the time. I flew, I flew three weeks a month for 13 years. So that eventually has a toll on you, but we did some cool things. I mean, in Yellowstone, we did a green retail shop. So a retail shop that's like, you know, your typical tourist thing, but everything in it, was green. And then we did a rating system. So every product had a carbon footprint rating system on it from like one to 10 and whether, how green was it? You know, so you could buy one thing that was green, one thing that was more green. The example would be if you bought these postcards, they were Buffalo dung postcards made out of Buffalo dung in Yellowstone. So <laughs> we did this huge green retail, won a bunch of environmental awards for it, for being a model in the kind of retail business. But they didn't smell though. Those cards didn't smell. Yeah, it didn't, but it did have a texture that was very yeah. unique. What is this? Something funny about this uh, calling card. Oh my God, that's funny. All right, well, let's talk, let's talk about ASIS, the Aspen Center for Environmental Studies. You, you're the CEO. It's now a 52-year-old nonprofit. You've got like 45 employees, or you probably could tell me you even have more now. Uh, I was a board member at one point uh, in 1996, 1997. And all we had was the Hallam Lake facility and, and, and limited programs. And, and it's obviously gone, 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 gone crazy. The mission, that, that the, the line that I love in the mission is this notion of inspiring life, a lifelong commitment to the earth. Imagine bringing a young child to the center or to one of your centers and imagine having that effect. You can, you can instill a lifelong commitment to the earth. That's a very powerful thing. You want to talk a little bit about that mission? Yeah, you know, I, I love our mission and, and it is educating for environmental responsibility as well uh, is part of our, is our mission. Um, and I put it a little bit different in modern terms and I hope, can I touch on politics ever so slightly? 
Sure. So, you know, we 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 view um, Republicans and Democrats. We love them. We love them all. We want, I mean, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, Muslim, Christian, atheist. We need to bridge this gap that the environmental movement transcends all of that. So we like to I like to think if Donald J. Trump had come to ACES as a young person, that we could have changed the course of history. And so, so you, you think, well, how powerful is educating young people and young minds? We believe it's that powerful, that we could have changed Donald Trump's position on the environment. And I'm sure a lot of your podcast listeners know that history. And the New York Times, of course, tracked all the environmental deregulation and the setbacks we had in the environmental movement due to, due to his administration. So we think we could have changed that. And we think that's you know what we call ecological literacy, arguably is the most important thing you can do. So we do that on a regional basis. 2,500 kids a week being educated in schools. And then we've got kids in the field programs. We've got adult programs in the, uh, on the mountains. Um, and this is, uh, we believe, no more critical time. The United Nations you know, came up with a million species at risk of extinction. And in the last 400 years, we're looking at 480 species that actually went extinct. So we're looking at a million. And then we've lost one in four birds, one out of four birds we've lost. Now you take that like ecological and you know the climate story. I won't talk about climate. I'm just talking about species. Now put the education story to that, which is in the program for international student assessment, United States is ranked 18th out of 80 countries. So we're not even in the top 10 in education. This is 15-year-old students, 600,000 studied for science and math. We're beat by China, Singapore, Estonia beat us. We're getting beat educationally. So we, ACES puts this together and says, well, we got ecological issues. We've got education issues. Let's pull that together. So everything we do kind of is a branch out of that kind of thinking and that philosophy. Yep. Yep. And the uh, one thing I wanted to touch on was this whole notion of the embedded teachers, uh, or you have teachers that are embedded in the public school systems in the Roaring Fork Valley, right? That, that um, if you talk to my staff, they'll tell you that's the most unique thing. Of nature centers across the country, very rarely, I don't know of any, that have teachers embedded. We've got 12 teachers embedded in schools from Aspen to Rifle, and they're teaching environmental science every day, full-time, year-round, in the schools, providing science and environmental science to kids that don't get it. And when the kids that do get it, um, the older kids, we do field programs with them. And then the high school level kids, we do a, what's called Tomorrow's Voices. It's an environmental civic. The, the idea being, if you've got all this environmental knowledge, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to actually affect change? So we're te teaching kids how to go out into the, into the world. Best example is, and you'd appreciate this, Ted, since you're you know, Mr. Renewable Energy, at Carbondale, the school that um, put a renewable a PV system in. Where'd that come from? It came from a group of kids that said, we're going to lobby and make it happen. And those kids were Tomorrow's Voices kids. So they made a difference. So they're using their power and their education to make a difference. And that's what we teach at the high school level. It's so great. And then just to drill in a little bit on the mechanics, when you have, as an Aspen Center for Environmental Studies, 501c3 nonprofit, you, you raise money and then you pay the salaries for those teachers, right? So the school district... And we, them. and we house them, yes. And you house them. So it's a, it's a really big deal. So it puts a big burden on the center to come up with the money. But as you as we're talking about, the impact is, uh, is, is infinite. I mean, it's, 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 or it's remarkable, put it that way. And then, yeah, I, I wanted to sort of drill in on that, that, those tomorrow's voices, because, 
it sounds like there's a real focus on leadership now and teaching these kids leadership skills. It's leadership, it's civic duty, it's diversity, equity, inclusion. It's, I mean, these are the things we're trying to teach kids because we believe all that adds together. Um, activism, I mean, a lot of these kids are going to protests. I mean, a lot of these kids are choosing careers. We're changing, we're trying to tilt their career. Um, and we can think, I can think of a, here's an example, a young girl named Jasmine, a Latina, grew up, grew up in this valley, one of 10 siblings, not one had ever been to college. She comes and works at ACES, does Tomorrow's Voices, does our, she actually interned with us as well, a paid summer internship. And not that we deserve the credit, but she then went on to not only college, but then she's doing a semester in Portugal. She's studying environmental science. I mean, you can see how we tilted her in a direction. Now she deserves all the credit. We don't deserve any credit, but these are the kinds of stories you hear that first generation to go to college and a Latina female who now is doing this career, we're just so amazed by her. I think that's just a fantastic story. And it's got one of many, many that must make this a really fulfilling job. Let's talk your, about your facilities for a second. When I was on the board, we had the Hallam Lake facility, which for those who are anybody visiting Aspen that hasn't been to Hallam Lake and the Environmental Center, it's a, it's a little gem that is sort of tucked away behind the post office, uh, what about a 26 acre preserve? Uh, and that's sort of been your headquarters and it's just absolutely gorgeous. But then, uh, I don't know, in the, since, the, since I was involved, you got the Rock Bottom Ranch, which is a big piece of land, sort of mid-valley. And what, what is the, uh, what is the th- and then I want to talk also about up at Tokelot, your facility there, but what, what, how did that expand the, uh, the, the scope of what ACES does, the Rock Bottom Ranch? Well, when, when that was purchased in 2000, there were people that are thinking, why would we, why do we want a ranch? Why do we? And then we learned, well, 35% of all carbon emissions come from some sort of agriculture related, whether it be delivery or clearing of land or the farming practices themselves. So Rock Bottom Ranch is now a regenerative agriculture site where we're trying to transform the way people think about farming and food systems. So growing food that doesn't pollute rivers, doesn't emit carbon, um, uh, that's local, doesn't deplete soils, and we're showing the world how to do it. And I'm, I couldn't be, is it okay if I be a little bragging here? I think, um, yes, I think it is. I, I just couldn't be more proud of our staff and our at the, at the ranch because like Bill and Melinda Gates came there. They want to learn about regenerative agriculture. A guy from the Xi administration, China, Xi, shows up there unannounced. Um, the governor showed up three times of Colorado to learn about regenerative ag. So the stuff we're doing there is not only are we bringing kids there to learn about food, but, and, but we're getting kind of high-powered influencers around the world who want to learn about food. And like, what are you doing? How do you do a low carbon? You know, the average um, piece of meat is about 27 pounds of carbon per pound of meat. And ours is three. The average vegetable is about four pounds of carbon per pound of vegetable. Ours is 1.2. So we're not, it's not 100% carbon free, but and the only reason that 1.2 and that three is there is mainly because of food transport and sale of the product transport. So everything else is carbon free, but we have to sell it to market. We do have to drive it in a diesel, uh, a fossil fuel powered vehicle. And we have to, um, well, we process it on site, but we know we got to get feed. Feed has to come from somewhere. So, so you have you have livestock and and, and we do about 100 varieties of vegetable, about 15 different varieties of livestock, turkey, lamb, beef, chicken, eggs. Uh, I couldn't even name them all. 
Um, and then on the vegetable side, it's mostly greens, salad greens. They're the most profitable, um, but all kinds of vegetables, garlic, um, broccoli, Swiss chard. I wish my ag person where he could rattle off 30 yeah, vegetables. I get, it, I get it. It's a wide variety. I had no idea. And then this goes all to, you sell it at a farmer's market or where does it we, go? We sell farmer's markets on Wednesdays in Carbondale, Saturdays in Aspen. Then we do um, uh, restaurant accounts as well. Now, the problem with restaurants is they need, you know, 100 chickens a week forever. Yeah. And we produce chickens seasonally so that we can, you know, well, we do a thousand chickens in the summer. We do 150 turkeys before Thanksgiving. We do, you know, 20 cows in the summer. But but we shut down our livestock pretty much in the winter because that's the seasonality of it. And, and we reduce our vegetables in the winter as well. So we're in the diversity of vegetables is, is about protecting against um, invasive species. It's not because we're trying to do 100 varieties. It's a if a bug gets the broccoli, then it didn't get the squash because there's a different bug that wants squash versus broccoli. <laughs> so it's part of our rest, rotation, diversity approach to growing food. And then of course, we're trying to improve the soil. So we work with CSU to do soil studies to put carbon back in the soil. And that's mostly a function of multi-species rotational grazing processes we use to get the, you, you put the cow on there when the plant is about this big, and not that big when it goes to flower, and then you move them really quickly, and then that spurs more growth and spurs more root growth that sinks the carbon in the soil. Yeah, I didn't give a great explanation of that, but that's well. That, you're giving me a, a strong sense of your, how excited you are about it, and I didn't, I, I didn't know, I didn't know that this was a, there was so much going on there. I, I got to go, got to visit it. And then you also have is it the is it the Cato Center or the Cato Center? Oh, it's Cato Center at Tokelot. The Cato Center, yeah. And that's interesting. That's our wilderness retreat center that is 70 years old, literally. It was started by Stuart Mace 70 years ago. He hand built it. And the building was kind of falling apart. So we did a capital campaign and we just raised eight million dollars to re renovate the place. It is currently under renovation. And what it will be is about a 9,000 square foot wilderness retreat center where you go, we brought in BlackRock, the executives at BlackRock, the world's largest investment firm in the world, 10 trillion under management. We brought those guys there and we made them take the shoes off and walk barefoot through the forest. And they loved it. I mean, we do those kinds of things. So anyone who uses that center then gets the ACES educational program, whether you like it or not. We don't rent anyone who doesn't want the educational program. So we teach them about forest, about ecology, about, you know, no phones, your phones don't work there. You're, gonna, you're forced to talk to people because you, you can't get the digital thing going. So it's a place of contemplative deep ecology is what it is. That's fantastic. So uh, given this breadth of um, works that, that ACES is doing and, uh, and uh, how it's grown, what, what, what would you say you're most proud of? Well, let me answer that by first saying was one other thing I didn't get to explain, which is we have a forest and climate program where we 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 where the goal is to help promote healthy forests. But we realize that this is really just a carbon story, is all it is. We're teaching the world about carbon through the forest. And since Aspen is surrounded, as you know, by national forests, um, we're doing active restoration work. So we've done two prescribed burns, we've done about five different mastications that imitate prescribed burns. We have a Know Your Trees program. We have a um, the fire that went in basalt that was not far from where your house is. Um, we do tours, fire tours. We work with the various forest service and we run a 
a program to get all the people who are partners and you know with forest it's large partnerships so we've got this forest program that i'm just proud of i'm not gonna say it's the thing we're most proud of um but it's a new cutting edge thing we put out a state of the forest report we do a forest health index to statewide so people can understand if their forests are healthy or not so anyway that's the thing so your question is what is it my most proud of i think what i'm most proud of is ACE's ability um, and its reputation to educate. I mean, that's bar none what we're best at. Um, and, and that's, we, we, we have a naturalist program where the, the post-college kids come out and they then hone their skills. And then they go on to, I don't know, we've got a naturalist who is the head of the, um, one studying fish in Alaska, another one's at the CERN Hadron Collider in Switzerland, and another is the superintendent of Ro Ro uh, Mount Rushmore National Park. So that program is, is amazing, but the educational program that we talked about earlier in the schools is the most unique and probably the most rewarding and maybe the most effective of everything we do. Yeah. And then it's fantastic, Brett. And then in, would anybody be able to say, oh, I can't do that in my town because I'm not as rich as Aspen is? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, this this is not this doesn't take a lot of money. This takes um, some motivation and some vision is what it takes. So uh, the schools actually participate. It's not just free. They have to pay half our fee. So we have a 50-50 split with schools. Um, we have about, of our budget, we're about 20, about 30% earned income and about a 10% endowment. And then we do rely on donations as well. So we do have earned income programs. That's our guiding services. It's sales of agriculture. It's partnerships with the schools. So we do have a revenue model that we're doing it's rentals as well you name it we we, we have many revenue producing um programs yeah I'm, I'm very i'm proud of what you've uh, what you've done there it's great that's a great story and i would think that many communities around the country maybe different parts of the world are are learning from you and uh learning from your model and replicating your model maybe not entirely but taking bits and pieces of your model so that's your your impact has been leveraged big time by not only those students cycling through, but uh, just people knowing about the center for sure. Well, that, that is our model, Ted. You said it. We, we, what we do on the ground is one thing, but we believe, and this is hard to calculate, um, that if you can, you know, we're in a resort community. If you can get tourists to come here, do their thing, interact in our programs, and we've got astronomy nights. I mean, it's kind of endless. I just gave you a tiny slice of the pie. Yeah. Um, and then they go back to their towns we believe that does influence their decision-making. I and mean, then the one we, thing we wanna influence is decision-making. That is the most important, who you vote for, what products you buy, what do you put renewable on your house? You know, is your child ecologically literate? I mean, these decisions that consumers and leaders are making is what's destroying the planet. So we believe we can influence their decisions, is our hope. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Last, last couple of questions, it's about uh, your personal life and how do you, how you maintain balance? I mean, you, you have a lot of responsibility. A lot of staff. What, what do you do? Are you used to be a major bike rider, runner, swimmer? I guess those things I remember. Well, I'm still swimming. I swim masters every Monday and Wednesday. I just came from it today, in fact, where I get my butt kicked in the pool. And I still, you know, ACEs, one thing I've tried to bring to ACEs is this work-life balance thing. I don't think we all should be working 60-hour work weeks. We've, otherwise, you can and you should, but you burn out. So if we want people to last and be happy, we think they've got to have that balance. Aces, the culture of Aces is to get into nature. So everybody here, including myself, you know, because you lived here, 
you hike, you bike, you just get in nature. And then you get the, you know, the forest bathing, Shinrin Yoku, you get the health benefits, um, you get the physical benefits. I mean, I think it's our therapy. It is our therapy. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I think it's therapy for people all over the world. I mean, you, you happen to live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, of course, but you know, a good, a good message for everybody is just get out, get out. It's, it's free therapy, right? You get to, you get to breathe deeply, see lots of things, get your eye, refresh your eyes, the whole bit. So, well, thank you for what you're doing, Chris. I, I think it's uh, it really exciting to hear about what you're doing and your staff is doing at ACES. I thank you for that. I think it's a, a super great model uh, of sustainability that we, that we like to highlight. So thanks for being on the show. Oh, I so appreciate it, Ted. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody listening. We really appreciate it. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.